Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Throughout time, sexual immorality has wrecked destructive consequences across the board. Consequences such as broken families, you know, many of you are from broken families, destroyed spouses, shattered children, diseases, guilt, shame, tormenting memories, broken trust, uncontrolled addictions, lying, stealing, and even death. And it is my goal today to motivate you from the word of God to a life of sexual purity. That means if you're married, you just have sex with your spouse. And if you are not married, you live a life of purity. Now, I would like to motivate you occasionally here this morning with some positive things about sex and marriage and the benefits of singleness. But the main motivation today from the word of God is motivating you by the consequences if you are not pure. And I'm not talking about the consequences of disease or broken family or even death. My job, preach the word of God and the consequences if you do not live a life of sexual purity are the consequences of the wrath of God. I'm just preaching it like it says it. So I want to give you the consequences of judgment and wrath for those who are not sexually pure. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to look where we're at in the Bible, and that would be Hebrews chapter 13. So if you're going to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We have been commanded coming out of chapter 12 to live a life of reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. And this has been expressed in practical ways of holiness as we've been in Hebrews 13. So I'm going to read the verse today. It's just one verse that we're going to be jumping around. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Here's the gist of today. If you're married, Have sex with your spouse, you're single, live a life of purity. If not, then face the judgment of God. It's pretty straightforward. It's really easy. It's really simple and yet so challenging. Look at verse 4 again. It says, marriage is to be held in honor among all. I wonder why he says that. Possibly it's because some in the early church thought that you were more holy if you did not marry. The Apostle Paul talked about the benefits of not being married in 1 Corinthians 7, but he never ever says that a single person is more holy than the one who is married. In fact, later on in the book of Timothy, he refutes those who are teaching against marriage. He says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Because from the very beginning in Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So we see from the very beginning that marriage is honorable, 
and should not be bad-mouthed by those in it and by those outside of it. Let the world dog on marriage. Don't let that be you. If you're married, don't talk bad of marriage. If you're single, don't talk bad of marriage. It's a good thing and it's to be honored by all. But it doesn't seem, if I'm reading this first right, that people were dishonoring marriage through asceticism or were not using with their mouths to speak positively about it. It seems the main way that marriage was not being honored in the Greek culture is the same reason and the way it's not being honored today. It's because marriage is being defiled within and without through sexual morality. People have no problem with extramarital sex, adulterous affairs, divorce, homosexuality, pornography, and on and on and on and on. And marriage is not being honored at the culture at large. But I ain't here to talk about the culture. I'm not here to point the finger at the world. I'm here to talk about you, the church. Because when you read the New Testament, the commands are blasting at the church. This command is talking to you. This command is talking to me. So don't be saying, oh, the world out there. Uh Uh-uh. We're talking about us today within the body of Christ. Because get this, the world is always going to act like the world. I don't know why we're surprised when the world acts like the world. But we should be surprised when the church acts like the world. So let's talk about ourselves today. Turn back once again to verse 4. It's not that hard. Verse 4, one. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Now, for some of you who need help with this imagery, the marriage bed, it's talking about sex within marriage. And this language, this is very interesting, this language of defilement is usually used in the context of worshiping God. When an Israelite came in contact with a dead body or had some type of skin disorder, then they were defiled and not fit for worship. So they would do some rituals to make them pure for worship. Now this defilement language is used to speak of purity of the marriage bed. Why? Because for believers, sex within marriage is worship. And I got zero amens. Come on now. Sex within marriage is worship. I mean, can you imagine trying that romance line to your spouse? Honey, it's time to worship the Lord. (laughs) And you may wonder, well, how is sex within marriage worship? That isn't, I don't want to understand that. Well, just, 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 just look at chapter 12 of Hebrews. Okay. Just a little context here. Chapter 12, verse 28 chapter 12, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So how is it that we are going to worship God with reverence and awe? And then we pop into chapter 13. Oh, the way we worship God is the way we, verses one through three, love one another. The way we show hospitality to strangers by remembering those in prison, um, by being content with what you have and the money, verse five. But also we show worship by keeping the marriage bed pure. When a believing husband and a believing wife have sex, it is not just a physical act, it is an act of worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, says, whether you eat or drink 
or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Sex within marriage is sacred and holy and brings glory to God. And I know some of you have not been raised to have that view of sex. Some of you have been raised to think sex is dirty, sex is gross, sex is disgusting, so you better save it for your spouse. What? No. God created it as a wonderful thing to be enjoyed with a marriage, and it is a form of worship to him. Now, I want to just talk about sex within marriage for a moment. So if you wouldn't mind, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7. Can you do that real quick? 1 Corinthians 7. We'll come back to Hebrews in a second. 1 Corinthians 7. Some of you may have Bible verses all over your house and perhaps the wives frame these verses and put them up. This will be the first passage that your husband frames and puts up, all right? So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 7. Let's start in verse 3. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. It's talking about sex. The wife does not have authority of her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now I'm going to say three things with regard to this passage. Three things. You can write them down or not, it doesn't matter. Number one, you are to enjoy sex within marriage and serve only one another. The wife's body is not hers alone, and neither is the husband's body his alone. Their bodies belong to each other for mutual enjoyment and pleasure. Husbands and wives are to serve one another. And so how are they to serve one another and keep the marriage bed pure? Well, part of that is you include no one else. You include no one else physically, mentally, visually, no pornography, just a believing husband and a believing wife are to enjoy one another. So enjoy sex with the marriage and enjoy one another. Second thing is make sex a regular part of your marriage. Make sex a regular part of your marriage. I heard it before that if a husband and wife are not having sex, then someone else is sleeping in the bed with them and you see, you got a husband on one side and a wife on the other side, and you got the devil sleeping right in the middle. Look at verse 5 again. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan, there it is, Satan will not tempt you because your lack of self control. Now, there are times and reasons not to have sex for prayer, fasting, medical reasons. But the normal husband and wife relationship should be filled with regular sex. And we're seeing here, if that's not happening, then Satan can come to tempt you. And one of the ways you stay pure within marriage is to continue to have regular sex. And the third thing I want to say, sex within marriage takes work and you must keep at it. Verse 3, again, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. 
doesn't just happen, but each should fulfill their marital duties to one another. So, so far we're so good, all right? So sex within marriage is holy and is sacred and it is worship. What is the opposite? The opposite of sex as worship is the worship of sex. The opposite of sex as worship is the worship of sex. And when you worship sex as a single person or a married person, you're not honoring marriage. Let's go back to Hebrews. Turn back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral, or some of your translations say fornicator. The term adulterer, sexually immoral, fornicator, includes all sexual sins like adultery, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, prostitution, incest, and any other sex that is not within the confines of the marriage bed between a man and a woman. So sex is created by God, supposed to be confined within marriage, then why would we ever violate it? Why would someone commit adultery? Now, there can be a lot of reasons for adultery, but the most popular reason for adultery is likely that your spouse is not meeting your expectations. You had a certain expectations the way marriage was going to go. It's not going that way, and so you veer to adultery. I once read a book, maybe many of you have read it, Jane Eyre. And if you know the book Jane Eyre, uh, Mr. Rochester in the book, it's one of the second main characters in the book, he's married to a woman who turned out to be crazy. Anyone in here marry someone crazy? (laughs) Don't answer that. I mean, this woman is psycho crazy because she tries to burn him and kill him. So he had her, do you know the story? So he had her locked up in the, in the attic for everyone's protection. Then he meets Jane Eyre, and she's the governess of his home. And he wanted to marry her. And he started to reason with himself on why he couldn't have something better to his current wife. And so he started to compare. It's like this, crazy wife, intelligent Jane. Tries to burn me, loves me. You see, once you start comparing your spouse to other people, then you know you're in trouble. Why can't my husband be as spiritual as that guy over there? Why can't my wife keep her body in shape like that woman over there? I deserve much better than I'm getting. And once you start getting this comparison going, then this pattern of woe is me, then you can start to veer there can be a lot of reasons why husbands and wives veer into adultery. But the bottom line, if you commit adultery, veer into sexual morality, you are making your life all about you. And if it's all about you, it's not about God. And when you make your life about you, you're stealing the glory that is due God and you're giving it to yourself because you are your own little God. And according to the word of God, those who habitually live this way, no repentance, no brokenness, but continue to live in sexual immorality will face the wrath of God, will be judged by God. 
put it plainly, will go to hell. I am not making this up. Let me share once again this verse. It says, God will judge the adulterer and the fornicators. God will judge. And you may think, well, this is just an isolated text. I'm not so sure that's very clear. I don't know how that's not clear. But just in case you need some more clarity, let me bombard you with a few other verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God, that's talking about heaven, talking about being with the Lord forever. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, underline, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor... Now, by the way, we like to talk about this passage, talk about homosexuals all day long. Did you see that word adulterers in there too? You see what I'm saying? It includes that too nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It means no heaven. Maybe you think, well, that's isolated. No, it's not. Ephesians, let's do Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 3 through 7. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. For this, you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such man as an adulterer, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Once again, no heaven. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Once again, no heaven for those who are sexually immoral. Let's do 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. For everybody who's wondering God's will for your life, that's part of God's will, that you should be sanctified. If you're wondering what does that mean, that you should avoid sexual morality. It's God's will for your life to avoid sexual morality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, no heaven, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Last Sunday, there was a report that was released by the Southern Baptists. Years, years, decades of sexual abuse by pastors. If you've been paying attention at all, this is the Protestant version of what was revealed years ago and the sexual abuse of Catholic priests. Not only, this is, this is all laid out in the report, not only while, while, while the, the, abused, the pastors who were abused, they were protected and those who were abused were shamed. And we can understand, if we understand the word of God, that God's judgment will fall. His judgment will fall on those who are sexual abusers and on predators and those who covered it up. And we know this and we understand this. But if I'm reading the Bible rightly, it also says that God's judgment is coming upon all those who are sexually immoral. That God is going to judge the adulterer. God is going to judge the sexually immoral. And I know we don't like to talk about those terms these days. We hardly ever hear terminology like that. We like to think, oh, they just have a sex addiction. Or, oh, they just have a, a sexual disorder. 
How much better to say this? If you claim to be a believer and you are not walking in sexual purity, but you claim to be a believer, I tell you right now, you will face the judgment and wrath of God. If you're not repentant, if you're not confessing, if you're a believer living in sexual morality, and this is, and you don't really care, you will face the judgment and wrath of God. You may claim to be a believer all day long, does not make you a believer. And the God told you about in the beginning and told a story, story, Eugene, it says, in the depth of his soul, there was a stricter judge who did not approve of it. And those who are involved in sexual morality didn't know there is a stricter judge who sees, who knows, and he will bring judgment and wrath. This is real coming judgment. And some of you may say, wait, wait, are you trying to scare me into purity? I'm not, but the word is. Now, I don't know if any of you back in your teenage days used to go to purity conferences. They were really big in the 80s and 90s. There were conferences called like True Love Weights. And they would do these conferences and they would talk about the bad stuff. If, if you don't wait, like True Love Weights, if you don't wait, you may get diseases or you may get someone pregnant and on and on and on. But I'm not sure there was much talk about judgment and wrath, we could rename the conference, True Love Waits or You Go to Hell. Because we don't talk about that. And you're like, what, what do you mean? You're saying that if we're, we're sexually immoral, we're going to go, like, like, it's about unrepentance. It's like, it's like you don't care. It's like, well, I, I walked an aisle in a church. I said, I believe in Jesus. I raised my hand. I got baptized. I went through confirmation. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I can do whatever I want because once saved, always saved. Oh yeah, once saved, always saved, it's true. But maybe you were never saved. Those who are living an unrepentant sexual moral lifestyles should have zero confidence that they're saved. You wanna come visit me, talk to me in my office. You want me to affirm that you are saved and yet you're living in sexual morality? I will not do that. The word is very clear. If I'm reading this verse right, it seems to be a warning to believers. We've seen warnings throughout the whole entire book of Hebrews. And what do believers do when they have warnings? They pay attention to them and they respond. And the warning here is keep the marriage bed pure. If not, God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. And my brothers and sisters, you need to know Jesus is on the cross for the sexually immoral. Jesus is on the cross for the adulterer. Jesus is on the cross for those who have not kept the marriage bed pure. And he's bearing wrath in our place. And the good news is that all the sexually immoral can come to faith in Jesus and be forgiven. That is good news. That if you've had a lifetime of sexual morality, you can be forgiven and cleansed through Jesus. Jesus forgives repentant sinners. Jesus forgives those who repent of sexual morality, homosexuality, being into pornography, whatever it is. He, he's here to save sinners. So this is a good news, okay? This is a good news message today, that Jesus forgives sinners. 
We see him forgiving the immoral woman at the well. We see him forgiving uh, prostitutes in the New Testament. And we see him forgiving sexually immoral fools like myself. From the age of 11 to 19, there probably was not a day that went by that I was not involved in some form of sexual morality or another. And at 19, God broke into my life. I saw the gospel of Jesus. He changed my heart to find forgiveness in Jesus. And the next two years were not the same as my teenage years. The next two years were still filled with a hint of sexual morality. After all those years of being deep, still two years later it was filled with a hint of sexual morality. And let me tell you this. What helped me to fight sexual morality and still helps me today is this question. Am I going to love myself or am I going to love God? And I'll never forget, after two years of being a Christian, I remember journaling, that was the question. Am I going to love myself or am I going to love God? And that question is still the battle question that we all have. Men face it, women face it, to remain pure each day. It's a battle. And so if you were here this morning and you have strayed from your marriage vows, you can repent and find forgiveness in Jesus. Your spouse may not forgive you. Jesus will. But it's no longer time to cover up. I knew this guy, close friend of mine. He was married, had kids. He was sleeping with prostitutes for 10 years. He's a leader in the church. No one knew. I found out about it, started talking to him. He made a break. I said, why did you make a break? I mean, was it like, oh, I, this is wrong toward my wife? Yes, that's part of it. This is bad for my kids? Yes, that's part of it. But he said, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. That was his main thing. He saw the judgment of God. He saw that he could not profess to be a believer and live this life of sexual morality. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're having extramarital sex. You're single. You're falling into that category that many do in the villages around, the older population who's sexually immoral. You can find forgiveness in Jesus today by repentance. And I know there's someone here today that are just totally hooked big time on pornography. And I'm calling you out right now because you know who you are. And I want you to know there is freedom in Jesus Christ. You may feel like you can never get free. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. But you have to determine right now if you're going to be aggressive or not. And you may wonder, how aggressive must I be against pornography? As aggressive as poking out your eye and cutting off your hand. That's the kind of aggressiveness that Jesus is talking about. If you're looking lustfully at another, poke out that cut off the hand. 
And that can translate in being aggressive and making protection so that you don't continue to go back to it. There is freedom in Jesus. And after a week like I've seen, I feel like I have to end on this. After a week like I've seen, it has been a crazy week in the Christian world. If you're here this morning and you have been sexually abused, maybe even by a pastor, maybe you've been raped, maybe something has done to you when you were a child, or maybe you are the spouse where your husband or your wife has cheated on you, or they're so hooked on pornography I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, there is healing for you and there is grace for you and there is love for you because Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter what was done to you, he is here for you. And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, we are here for you as well. There is grace and mercy for every single person in here to be forgiven and be restored, and walk in truth, and walk in the light, and cover up nothing. For there is freedom in Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922 922- 0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.